All right, everybody, good morning. Welcome to Bucre Baptist Church. I love that I made it all the way to the announcement time without anyone asking about what I'm wearing. Um, so, happy Disaster Relief Sunday. Uh, yeah, this is the first Sunday in hurricane season. So, uh, AJ's sporting my, my hat. That makes him the team leader, actually. Um, so, we found it worthwhile to tell everyone. Uh, now's the time to prep. Get ready. So make sure you've got food. Make sure you got a plan. Uh, if we do get hit with a hurricane this year, which we're not going to because God wouldn't do that to Annalise and I while we're having a baby. Um, but uh, theoretically, you know, get ready. Um, if you want to talk about what should be in your hurricane bag, if maybe you're uh, an intern visiting from out of town and you've never been through a hurricane before, uh, just come talk to me. We've got uh, abundant experience both in... Uh, riding hurricanes out and in fleeing, terrified as refugees. So we can walk you through both processes. Um, anyway, AJ has an announcement too. Um, Aunt Tess is also pregnant. <laughs> she, she, was too, she was too shy to tell anybody, uh, so she made AJ do it. <laughs> But uh, praise God for that. We're excited for that. Um, and now you know why I've been really pushing the, the movement on the nursery creation. <laughs> Not just one baby coming, two babies. Um, so, yeah, anything else? Oh, right, the SBC is this week. Uh, so there will be 20,000 Baptists downtown. <laughs> Beware. Um, that's going to, no, we're, we're super excited. Uh, I would encourage you. We're I know we're missing a lot of our normal folks. I'm really glad to have some guests this week. Um, but uh, come next week. It's going to be so good. Uh, Steve Horn's preaching. That's part of why it's going to be so good is that I'm not preaching. Um, and we're just going to have an amazing time of worship. I'm anticipating next week uh, maybe running out of seats and we're just going to overflow onto the sidewalk because we're the only church walking from all the hotels and stuff like that. So I, I think that'll be exciting. I hope you, um, I hope you come and join for that. Um, Adam, do you have your hand up? No. Okay. Let's keep praying for Mama Rose, who's sick um, this week and has been sick for a couple weeks now. Um, small groups this week. We are not having them. Uh, except on Wednesday of this week. Yes. Yes. This Wednesday, uh, we are. there is a group from out of town that's doing a special coffee house. There's music involved, so that'll be fun. Uh, feel free to come out to that, but we're not doing our normal Wednesday small group this week, um, or or the small group at my house on Tuesday because uh, I've got I'm too involved in everything that's going on. Uh, I would encourage you if you have not. Some of y'all I know, like uh, most of y'all are registered as messengers for the convention. Please be there. The big voting day is Tuesday, <coughs> um, so show up bright early, ready to vote. Uh, you will receive packets on the way in that will tell you everything for that day that you're voting on. And I have uh, what's called the Book of Reports, and I can talk you through some, some votes that are expected that people have already announced they're going to be making. So if you want that from me, just we'll have a brief combo after this. Um, if not, just show up. They'll give you a full, <coughs> full list of things we're voting on on Tuesday. Uh, any questions about this week? I know it's a big week coming up. Okay. Last announcement, and then I'm a, uh, we're going to start start church. But I just want to give um, big thank yous to my wonderful wife, who now has the disaster relief that we're all going to wear it this morning. Uh, my wonderful wife and um, Jess and Callie, who have been doing a ton of stuff, getting ready for a respite event. So this may be the first time some of y'all are hearing about it, but uh, they've done a ton of stuff to get ready. We're going to open up the whole church. Hey, y'all. Open up the whole church uh, to foster kids who are in foster care currently. Y'all know that's something my wife and I are involved in, something Jake and Eris have been doing and are involved in as well. It's something very near and dear to my heart. I'm excited to do a respite event. We're going to open the church for child care for anyone involved in foster care and then send parents, caregivers out with uh, money to do lunch in the quarter. So we're excited for that. Uh, thank you guys so much for doing all you did to help get ready for it. One more. Yep. All right, uh, let me pray for us and get started. Father God, thank you for being here with us. Even here, 
downtown, Lord, in a small church, God, you, the king of the universe, are here abundantly. And we praise you for your humility in that, Lord, I, I praise you that you come even into each of our lives, God, to do your work. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, we don't deserve it, Lord, and yet you do it gladly. Lord, I pray that you would dwell originally with us today. God, I pray, as I always do, Lord, just that each and every heart um, here would be changed. God, that lives would be changed. Um, that no one here, in hearing your words and thinking on your things, would walk away the same as they were before. God, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Morning, everyone. In addition to Disaster Relief Sunday, um, this morning is also Trinity Sunday. It's the first Sunday of the season of ordinary time, which where we'll be for the rest of the year. Um, so we have followed the story since the beginning of Advent from the world's longing for God's deliverance to God's answer in the person of Jesus Christ and then the cross and then the resurrection and then the ascension and finally last week the last spectacular plot twist of Pentecost when God's spirit came down upon all of his children and his people became the place where heaven and earth meet became the temple of God together. And so for the rest of the year, we will be looking at and talking about and praying about what that means in our ordinary time, in our everyday lives. How do we live out that incredible calling? And so we begin this week in the beginning with what was in the beginning, the Trinity, God, the God who created us, the God who is a family, the God who is a community, who has lived in perfect communion and perfect unity and perfect love since before time, and who created us in God's image, in the image of this perfect unity and perfect love, to love and to be loved, to be a part of God's good creation. And so today we will be reminding ourselves of that story and that calling and there's a lot of language in our readings today um, about dominion and rule. And these are words that much like justice and law and judgment and obedience, humans have just ruined. Like they were good things that God did and we have ruined them. So much so that now when we hear those words, we can't even see the good things of God anymore. All we see is our terrible, distorted imitations. Um, so it's important to remember that this image that we are called to follow, to be, to represent this rule and this dominion and this kingdom, it's not what God warned the Israelites about when he told them they didn't want a king. It's not human rule. It's not crushing, it's not taking, it's not oppressive. It is what we have seen in Jesus Christ throughout this whole liturgical year. What we've seen in the promises of God in the Old Testament and what we've seen in the way Jesus came to serve and to give and to heal and to feed and to deliver. Um, one of my family's favorite Bands puts it this way. They say his rule gives room for good things to run wild Like God's rule holds back everything that harms us God's rule puts down everything that destroys us so that everything that is good is free Amen. to flourish to grow to blossom to to love and to give his kingdom is the ultimate freedom for everything that is good. And so as we enter into this season, this morning we are reminding ourselves of this beautiful image of God in which we are created. This part and this mission and this job we have to be a part of God's good creation, to love one another and to love God in this 
perfect shalom that God created in the beginning and will restore in the end. And we repent of how we have fallen short and we dedicate ourselves again anew together to be that image, to work for that image, to love that image, and to encourage it in every place that we see it. So whoever has our song, could you please lead us this morning? Marlena? Genesis day one. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While the wind from God swept over the face of the waters, then God said, Let there be light. And then there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from the water. God made the dome and separated the water that were under the dome and the waters that were above the dome. it was so, God called the dome the sky, and it was evening, it was morning, and it was sleeping. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly over the earth, across the waters, to drive the aid to bring sea monsters, and every living creature that every time, with which the waters swarm, and every wounded bird. God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and the birds multiply. And there was evening, and there was morning. The birds said, For God said, If you're a person, what can you do with your return? God will treat you with you. I'll have you from your return. You're so. Thank you. 
Through him you are forgiven, you are welcome, you are loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God, God whose fingers stole sun and moon and curled the baby's ear, spirit brooding over chaos before the naming of day, Savior sending us to earth's ends with water and words, startle us with the grace, love, and communion of your unity and diversity, that we may live to the praise of your majestic name. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. If you're able to stand and join with me in worshiping our triune God together, let's do so. You are, you are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. You are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song. I'll sing again. so good to me you heal my broken heart you are my father in heaven you are so good to me you heal my broken heart you 
go with me to the book of Matthew. And we're beginning in chapter 6 this morning. We're going get, get the kids out of here one way or another. <laughs> Bring the sloth to the back, see if she follows it. Uh, we have been in a series of the book of Matthew for several weeks now. The first few chapters of the book of Matthew show us how Jesus left his throne and came out into the desert of our own wandering in temptation to save us, not just in some purely spiritual sense, but in every sense. He's, he's not just the new and better Moses in giving and fulfilling the law, but Jesus is the new and better you and me, offering us life 
in him real life. We are slaves to sin, and God is bringing us up from every slavery into which we fall until we are free in him. I love the way uh, Meg said that this morning. I got to, who was that quote by this morning? About, oh wow, okay, it's a song. I love that, that God's dominion sets us free. The last couple of weeks we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches uh, with authority a new, a new law, one which in no way gets rid of the old law and prophets. Rather, the new law restores, upholds, fulfills the old law. The law is meant to invite us into God's grace and the truly beautiful practice of confession, core to Christianity, is a belief that in Christ we are able to change in all the ways we most desperately need and want to change and even in all of that that we become more beautifully ourselves we are meant to learn from the law the way the world is meant to be and why who and why we were created to be and if we're honest we're meant to admit that there is a distance between the way the world is meant to be and the way it actually is there's a distance between the way society ought to be and the way it actually is it's easy to admit that one, <laughs> that we don't love and care for each other the way that we should. That one's easier to admit. What's harder to admit when you look at the law is admitting that you have a part in that discord, that that brokenness comes even into your own life. You have, I have done wrong things in what I've done and in what I have left undone. In and through all this moral teaching, interwoven with it, Jesus begins to teach what most scholars consider the primary topic of his recorded teachings, the primary topic even of the New Testament as a whole, which is the kingdom of God and what it's like. Over and over again, Jesus, in almost everything he's going to say, he's, begin, he's going to begin with the same phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. The king is like this. And then he's going to begin to explain what the kingdom of God means for us and for our world. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is challenging us to believe that there is another reality. There is another kingdom besides America, besides any nation that we live in. And incredibly, he teaches that the kingdom of God is not some future far off thing. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning not far away, not way in the future, but here and now. We can live as kingdoms of the we can live as citizens of the kingdom of God even now where we are, and we're able to live in the intersection in that gap between the kingdom of God and this kingdom, between the city of God and this city. Our passage this morning is going to delve further into both themes. What does it mean to live a moral life, really? And and what is this kingdom? Who is this king? Read with me Matthew six, starting in verse in verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have your reward, or you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the, to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that by giving you may... <clears throat> that your giving may be in secret. And as your father, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for the many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will you forgive, not neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I pray as I always do, Lord, just that no matter what I say, God, that what you administer to people's hearts and minds this morning is your truth in your word. Father, because we know your truth will set us free, and we desperately long to be free. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Amen. We're going to do again what we did last week. Uh, any one of these teachings is worth a sermon, and I've preached many of those sermons already. This passage, though, also has something to say as a unified whole. So I'm going to focus this morning on the big picture. I want you to notice how all of the practices in this section, I would call them, they're, they're religious practices. Uh, praying, giving, fasting. Uh, what this passage as a whole is about, to borrow language from James, it's about pure and undefiled religion. Religion is not something which in our society uh, has, a, a good, has a good rep, right? Even in churches. <laughs> Uh, even Lauren Daigle has a song about how she's ditching religion, right? So uh, it, it doesn't have a good rep even in churches. But I want you to notice in our passage, Jesus isn't teaching against religion. Instead, he's trying to show that religion, like anything else, it can be healthy or it can be diseased. Uh, there is a true religion. There is a form of religion that, that lies as well. Jesus mostly uses the word Hypocrisy, which is one of the words from Greek that we don't translate it. It goes directly into our language. But if you were to translate it, it's the word acting. He says these people are acting. They're actors. <laughs> Jesus says all through the passage, as people are sounding trumpets, as they're making faces, he says, that's acting. That's not religion. That's a show about religion. Those aren't religious people. Those are actors, he says. If you don't want the cast of Grey's Anatomy operating on you, you probably don't want to learn your religion from people who are actors. The problem is, how do you tell the real religion from the fake religion? How do you tell the pure and undefiled religion? I, uh, I had the pleasure of watching Grey's Anatomy, an episode of Grey's Anatomy one time with my cousin, who at the time was a, uh, a nurse practitioner at a hospital in Nashville. She could not stand that show. <laughs> uh, just like I can't usually stand TV trying to portray religious people, she could not contain herself. She kept kind of standing up uh, off the couch a little bit and uh, blurting out the phrase, what was it? Um, uh, just like, she kept pointing out lawsuits, right? <laughs> that would happen. Um, she, yeah, kept blurting out the phrase, that is grossly inaccurate. Uh, Frighteningly, she said scrubs is pretty much spot on, so do what you will with that. Uh, the most common thing I hear among church folks about people acting religion is that a lot of people, a lot of religious folks, their heart's not in it. Uh, they're good, they're, they're just going through motions, you know, without a real relationship with God. They're, they're just acting out religious things. And that's true, I've seen that, I've seen that. The most common thing I hear from non-church folks, though, is that religious people use their religion to make themselves seem better, like they're better people than basically everyone else. And to put, they use it to put other people down, to feel good about themselves, when in truth they're struggling just like the rest of us, they're just lying about it. That's true. I see that. But listen, listen. I have also seen true religion. I've seen the real thing, and it is one of the most gut-wrenchingly beautiful things I have ever seen, and it is incredibly powerful. I have seen families welcome refugees into their home who had no home and no visa to work. I've seen families care for children who need families like their own. I've seen over and over again, even with many of you, uh, people leave the comfort of their own homes and go into a disaster area to help people they don't even know recover. I've seen rich people give anonymously enormous amounts to help the poor and poor people without grumbling be hospitable to the rich. I've seen people give their entire working lives in service to the destitute. Some of them are here today. 
when they're talented enough to do anything they wanted to do. Pastors, I've seen them exhaust themselves in every way and then at the end of the day, walk right back out the door to go do a hospital visit or answer an emergency call. Anything that is beautiful and powerful in our world when it is misused is horrible. If something's relatively neutral, imagine a line. If something's relatively neutral, morally speaking, and it gets misused, it's relatively not that bad. But if something is beautiful and great and powerful, and gets misused, it becomes a horrendous evil. Love, for example, can build a life together, or it can completely destroy a person, depending upon how it's used. With fire, we cook food for our families and we burn people at the stake. With religion, though, see, with religion, we reach our hands out to touch the kingdom of God. We bridge the physical and the spiritual. We speak of impossible things being true, and we learn to hope for things that seem impossible to actually be true. That is so powerful. With religion, we can either build a loving community who cares and loves each other for a lifelong, or we can use religion to divide and exclude and make people feel unwanted. With religion, we can free slaves and build a more equal and just society, or we can baptize lynching with words like justice and creation order. We can help nations heal from past wrongs, or we can justify genocides. With religion, we can learn our true worth and purpose as individuals, or we can teach people that they aren't worth our time. Religion is an incredibly powerful tool, both when it is true and when it is false, both when it is real and when it's an act. Be careful with religion where you will take this thing of gut-wrenching beauty and twist it into something that's a horror. Jesus starts his conversation of religion with giving. Specifically, he's talking about giving to the poor. It's a practice called almsgiving, which used to be much more popular than it is today. Giving in Christianity is meant to be a recognition of worth and value as it stands in the kingdom of God which is almost flipped upside down. It is flipped upside down from the value structures that we find in, in our kingdoms in the world. So giving is meant, in Christianity, is meant to be a recognition of the worth and value as God sees the world. The idea comes from the Old Testament synagogue system. Uh, you would start a new synagogue whenever ten families were willing to join it. Because if they were all willing to give a tenth of their living to the synagogue, you could support the life of the priest at the same level as the median lives of the families in the church. And the priest could give to the poor and keep up the house out of his living. In addition to the tenth of what everyone gave to the church, there were several other off, uh, offerings, and again, the, the giving of alms, uh, designed to provide for celebration, provision again for the poor. What a simple system. What a beautiful system. I love the beauty of how high tides in that system would raise all ships. How could that possibly go wrong, you ask? Humans. <laughs> From the start, people didn't want to give a tenth of their living, right? Even if they were doing really well, well, there was always someone doing better, you know, not doing their fair share. And so, oh, well, why don't they give if, if I have to? So they would give sparingly, if at all, to the church, even though they were benefiting from the care and love of the community. People would misrepresent their wealth in order to give less uh, or suddenly <clears throat> step away from the church and, uh, you know, some, some misstep that the church makes in its spending or even just in its teaching. People will use that as a, a cause for cutting off giving. Conveniently, you know, you can't support that sort of thing. And of course, when the church isn't receiving the full part of its due, it's really easy for that church then to turn around and say, oh, we're sorry, poor people, we have nothing to give you. You know, we can barely afford our own selves. And it's not the church's fault. It's that guy's fault over there, you know. As James talked about, people would ask to, uh, you know, it, it becomes unhealthy. People uh, stop giving. Others ask. Some of them are asking rightly. Others ask wrongly to, to spend it on their passions, James says, to spend it on things that aren't actual needs. So it becomes very complicated and remains very complicated for the church to give and care for the poor. Humans. None of that, of course, has happened in any church that I've ever 
worked with. I was talking about ancient Israel. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Jake, for laughing at that. Um, but now that you mention it, you know, I um, all of this is happening all the time at every church. <laughs> the church, this church is, is very generous to me, and I'm grateful. Uh, I'm not looking for a race. I, I know pastors, though, who are paid well below the poverty lines. Um, while the people in their church live oftentimes wealthy upper middle class lives. I know churches who have stopped giving anything at all to missions. And of course, if any pastor addresses the topic, he's presumed to be self-interested, you know, saving for his second jet and all that. Money's a tough topic no matter where you are. I don't know if you noticed the kids even this morning, you know, they're arguing over who gets to take the plate around. I was like, oh man, we should like take a picture of that for our next sermon on stewardship, right? Um, Especially though in the church. Because we're meant to be a family and share each other's burdens and really care for each other. And so it gets very hard. Jesus says, giving would be better if we weren't so loud about it. He makes another joke. I don't know if you, if you saw this. I, I've been trying to point out when Jesus is being funny. We never expect somehow for Jesus to be funny. We think of him as very serious. Really, he's joking most of the time. Um, the joke in this case uh, is about the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. Uh, I don't know if you caught that, but that's not a real thing that happens in the world. That's a joke. It's hyperbole. Uh, but again, in practice, that, that kind of giving, if we were to try to approximate that, you know, not even let our left hands or our right hands know what our left hands are doing, that kind of giving, whenever I see that, it's super healthy. Super healthy. One way I try to put this into practice at the church, uh, I very intentionally, if you don't tell me, I don't know what you give. I intentionally don't look at it. I don't look into it because I don't want it to cloud my treatment of people or affect the power dynamics of the church. Giving to a church should not get you power in the church. It shouldn't even really be known by the rest of the church that you are a big giver. Another example just of how to put this into into practice, uh, we have a policy in our missions work. Uh, Our church absolutely does not give out money as part of our missions work. Uh, We give out everything we have from the church, but not money. It is a well-known policy. I've been cursed out for it many times, uh, and most people at this point have stopped asking us for money. Uh, The thing is, this is also not a real policy of our church. (laughs) Uh, We actually spend about 70% of our church budget on people who are in need. And in one way or another, just like in the ancient Israel, that doesn't even count what people are giving in addition to what they give to the church. Every time I talk to Adam, it seems like he's giving something of his away, right? Uh, We just aren't loud about it most of the time. Uh, but he, Adam's probably embarrassed that I said his name because uh, people ask us for all kinds of wrong reasons. And so we have this fake policy in place just to try to help us discern the real meet needs that people have from the needs that, and then we go meet those needs in secret, right? And tell people like, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Usually we're not loud about it. I was hoping many people didn't come to church today. I'm actually kind of ruining this whole balance we have right now by telling you about it. But hey, you try to come up with practical examples for the sermon, right? Um, Here's one. When I first started in ministry, this is years ago in Memphis, uh, one of the guys that's actually associated with the Union Mission that we work with a lot at this church, we send a lot of people to Union Baptist in in Memphis. Um, Anyway, he came through that program and was working in, still is working in ministry up in Memphis. His name's Marlon, but he is universally known by everyone I've ever talked to as Big Dog. Uh, Big Dog snagged me at a lunch one day. I'm maybe 19, you know, and he tells me he needs me to help him lift something. You know, he was going to deliver something. He needed me to help go with him, help him lift something when we got there. And I'm just making conversation on the drive. And I, you know, saw in the back of the pickup truck, you know, we're delivering this big old fridge to an elderly lady in the community. And I was just kind of amazed at the coincidence that Big Dog just so happened to have an extra fridge and I was like big dog where'd you get this extra fridge that you're able to just like give to this lady at the drop of a hat like this and he went quiet you know we had been like chatting back and forth and it got really awkward you know Uh, and eventually he comes out and he's like look I don't want to lie to you man it's my fridge he didn't have an extra fridge that he was giving away but an elderly lady in the community needed a fridge for medication and he was giving away his own refrigerator to her. And he tried everything he could not to tell me about it, even though I was there with him. Beautiful, gut-wrenching religion. So giving, next Jesus talks about prayer. 
he's still joking around. He says, when folks pray loud and in public, whatever it is they're saying with all those words, what they really want out of that prayer is attention. <laughs> That's what they really want. Uh, so he says, you know what? They already got what they were asking for. He says, look at that. How neat. God didn't even have to be involved. <laughs> and the implication, of course, is that in that kind of prayer, God really isn't involved. If it's something else you want your prayers to do, though, besides get you attention, like in the Lord's Prayer, if you want to actually praise God and hallow his name, if you want to be near him and him to draw near to you, you can do that even in your house with the doors closed. If you want his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, a bunch of words isn't really going to help that. And you can repeat all the names of God in Hebrew and in Greek and in every other language, but he really just wants you to call him and know him as Father and Lord. God knows the needs of the people around you before you ask him. You don't need a long prayer for it to be a good prayer. And some things don't change. One of the challenges when I started trying to disciple people growing up, I got started in ministry really when I was 16. So I, I was in, at the time, I was in a suburban town. You know, all the same sins as the city. They're just less open about it. You just, one, one does not speak of such things, you know. Um, one of the big challenges in that context was just getting people to think about or pray about uh, applying scripture to themselves instead of to other people. What they had learned that day was always somehow what someone else needed to hear. I don't know if you've come across this. Like they would come up to me after small group and be like, man, I really wish John was here for this today. He really struggles with that. I try to share it with him, but you know, it's, it's tough. He just doesn't, he doesn't seem to get it. Jesus says, stop praying for God to forgive other people's sins. <laughs> Ask him to forgive your own sins. Ask for what other people are doing wrong. Pray that you would be able to forgive them. Because God's forgiveness is not, has never been, ever, throughout all of time, lacking. Our forgiveness, though, we judge and divide all the time. Families fall apart because we can't even begin the conversation with an apology for the part that we played in whatever the problem is. This is part of why I encourage people to respond to the sermon every week. We are not here, each of us, you and I. We are not here to stock up on some Jesus and bring it to someone else because they are the sinners in need of a savior. That is not why we are here. We are gathered here in this church to admit our own need for Jesus, his salvation and sanctification, his wisdom and mercy. You, me, we need to hear God's word today. It's for us. Why else do you think he's sovereignly ordained for you to be here today? Yes, of course, other people outside of these walls need to hear the gospel and the wisdom of God. It has the power of salvation for them. But the witness you bear to the lostness and brokenness of the world is this. I am a sinner, and I found help, salvation. I found change for my life in all the ways I needed to be changed in Christ. I get hungry and tired, too. And do you know where I found bread and rest and water? The gospel is not a thing that you own that raises your status that you then are able to give out to the needy people around you. It's a king, and it's a kingdom. And Christ showed us the way that we might walk there together, bearing one another's burdens. Fasting is the last topic. So you've got giving and prayer and fasting here in this passage on true religion. Similarly to what Jesus says about giving, Jesus' comment is, when you fast and tell everyone about it, what you are really trying to do with that fast is get attention. So congratulations, you did it. You already got your reward. If you want anything else out of the fast though, direction from the Lord, maybe wisdom, learning your dependence upon him and him alone, taking part in the suffering of the world, rending your hearts, as Micah says. If you want those things, you don't need everyone to know you're fasting. You just need to do it. You just need to fast. In our time and place, we have very cleverly resolved this particular difficulty, any difficulty we might have experienced with fasting the wrong way, by uh, cleverly, simply, just not fasting at all. 
And that way we don't get it wrong because we just don't do it. I actually see a lot of people very proudly moving in this direction for each of these three topics. I want to bring this up, not just fasting, but giving and praying too. We've resolved any tensions in church life just by ceasing these practices and by ceasing joining the church at all. Usually we express this impulse as a desire to distance ourselves from an organization or, or from organized religion in general. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to live um, in, in the freedom, or we, we would rather live in the freedom of grace, but before long we just stop practicing our faith altogether. We just stop practicing our religion altogether. Really, though, that's still acting. It's just a different kind of acting. Still hypocrisy. All of the cynical talk in this conversation, it gathers a lot of attention, just like the person giving while blowing trumpets. The criticisms of religion win people followings and praises from certain groups, especially on social media. Meanwhile, in not wanting to do religion the wrong way, you've stopped doing religion at all. To the detriment of all the people who needed you, all the people who needed you there in that church to care for them. To the detriment of all the people who needed your alms, prayers, and solidarity, even to your own detriment. In my mind, ditching religion altogether, it helps no one, not even you. So declare a fast in your own life. Give, pray. Not so anyone can see you. Don't post it on Instagram. That's not what I want. Don't talk about it. Just do it. Come to small group so you can know how to pray for people. If you want to give to a need in the church you see, come talk about how to do it honestly, in a way that doesn't draw attention and shame the recipient of the gift. In the end, I would encourage you, I would invite you not to ditch your religion, but just to make it real. Make it true. Make it undefiled. Stop acting. If you just want people to know that you're a good person, you've already received what you were after in your pursuit of Christ. But I hope you want something else. I hope you want the thriving of your neighbor, of your community. I hope you want yourself to thrive. I hope you want to make the outcast feel welcomed and loved, to welcome the foreigner and stranger, to care for the destitute, to build the kingdom. Give, pray, fast, but do it for Christ and for the people around you, not for yourself. Let go of any kind of reward here in this kingdom. Give everything you have to the kingdom of God. Seek that kingdom first and you will find him and in him you will find everything else you need. Pray with me. Oh, Father God, so often I am called to preach on things that I am terrible at practicing myself. And it is humbling. God, I pray that you administer to our hearts, each of our hearts and minds this morning, God, that none of us would leave here changed. Lord, that we wouldn't hear this sermon and think that someone else needs it, God, but we would see our own desperate need of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us. God, help us not to be showy. God, help us. Give us your humility, Lord. And in that, what I'm saying is give us your spirit. God, your spirit which convicts us. God, your spirit which leads us toward repentance. Lord, give us your spirit to lead us to be more like you, Christ. I pray this to the glory of God the Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name so, you know we, so we know you hear us. Amen. I would invite you to respond in some way. I would invite you to, you can come pray with me, I'll be in the back. You can pray where you're at, you can stand and sing, but respond. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in